God uses unlikely people like us to bring spiritual sustenance to people. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Well, uh, folks, it is great to be back here with you following my, my vacation time. I was able to take a trip. I went to Washington, D.C., and I had a great time there taking in all the sights. I was able to see uh, a number of things that I've always wanted to see. But it seems upon returning here, I do need to engage in a little rumor, rumor control here. Uh, I do want you to know that I went to D.C. purely for a vacation It was not to lay the foundation for a run for the White House in 2024, in spite of what some of you may have heard. Now, I have to say, I do think that that would be a very interesting job to have, but I actually prefer the one that I have right here with all of you. And besides, if I did decide to run for the presidency, I don't think it would turn out very well anyway if I did decide to do that. So I'm very delighted to then be here and be back here with all of you then now. We are continuing then here today in our sermon series on the life of Christ called Unique, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, there has never been any other person in history like him, and there is no one else like him in all of the universe. As we have been going through this study, we've been using this resource by John MacArthur called One Perfect Life, in which he takes all of the gospel accounts of the life of Christ and harmonizes them, puts them together as one flowing account in chronological order then. Uh, We are moving on to another major section here in our series today. But just to kind of remind you where we've been here and kind of set us up for where we're going, we see that in the life of Jesus Christ here, how he is the eternal son of God. Jesus' life did not begin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, but he is the eternal Son of God, who has always been, is, and always will be. We saw his ministry then, even before he ever took on human flesh. He was a servant, though, to people. We saw he was the pre-incarnate servant as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament era. We saw his incarnation taking on human flesh, his childhood then, the baptism account, and the temptation by the devil in the wilderness then. Uh, We saw his early ministry. There are some of those encounters, those early encounters with some of the men who were then fishers of fish, but would soon become fishers of men. Saw how he turned the water into wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. We saw that first full year of his ministry with the cleansing of the temple, the encounter with Nicodemus, you must be born again, the Samaritan woman at the well, his healing and teaching ministry, and his rejection by his own people in his town of Nazareth. And then in the second year of his ministry then, the formal calling of the 12. He had many disciples, but there were 12 select then, and this was the formal calling of the 12. The Sermon on the Mount, And then when he began to speak in parables, as much of the nation had rejected him and the death of John the Baptist. And so for today, then, we are moving, believe it or not, we're moving into his third and final full year of ministry. And so let's see what awaits us there. 
We begin then today, we're calling this message here today, Waiters for Jesus. And I think, now that's an unusual sermon title. How many think that's an unusual sermon title there for that, isn't it? Well, our text today covers the one miracle of Jesus apart from the resurrection that all four gospel writers include. As you know, with the four gospels, uh, the gospel writers all do not cover exactly the same things. They cover a number of the same things, of course, but but they don't include it all. And of all of the miracles that Jesus performed, apart from the resurrection, there is only one miracle that all four of of them include in their accounts of the life of Jesus. And do you know which miracle that was? I'll give you a hint. There's a hint in the message title there for you. It was the feeding of the 5,000. That is the one miracle that all four gospel writers include, aside from the resurrection. And here is the key idea then that I want us to take away from our message here today. And that is is that God uses unlikely people like us to bring spiritual sustenance to people. God uses unlikely people like us to bring spiritual sustenance to people. Do we have any unlikely people in here? I see a lot of unlikely people here, uh, starting with myself right here. Uh, But God uses unusual, unlikely people to do great things, eternal things in the lives of others. He uses you and me to bring spiritual sustenance, the message, his word, his truth, the gospel. He uses people like us to do that then. So before we look at our text here then today, a little context Uh, Shortly before the events in our text today, Jesus had sent the 12 out to heal and to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Now, why did Jesus do that? Why did he see sent them out two by two to proclaim the kingdom, to heal? Why did he do that? Because he wanted to take a break and let them do the work? No. What was it? Practice. He was preparing them. Because in just a little over a year, what was going to happen with Jesus? He was going to die. He was going to be buried, but he would resurrect. And then what? He would ascend into heaven and the Holy Spirit would come. And then they had an important task to do, which was what? To go out into all of the world to make disciples then. And so he was training them for this mission that they would soon have of proclaiming the gospel throughout all the world after his death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so now then, they were returning from that mission, having been sent out by Jesus to do that, that training mission. So first off then, our text then tells us this. And the apostles, remember an apostle is one who is sent that they had been sent, a disciple is a a, a student, a learner. An apostle is one who is sent on a mission. So they're disciples, but they're also apostles. So And the apostles, when they had returned, gathered to Jesus and told him all that they had done and what they had taught. And after these things, Jesus said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place. And rest a while. For there were many coming and going, 
and they did not even have time to eat. Then he took them and went aside privately. So they departed over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, in the boat by themselves to a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So first off, we see the need for rest. Now, I have heard, I've heard, I did a little rumor control here before, I've heard another rumor that ministering to people and their constant needs can be a little tiring, can be exhausting. Uh, I've, I've heard that. Uh, and can anybody relate to that? Okay. How about your own needs? Are your own needs exhausting sometimes, right? We can't even meet our own needs, let alone other people's needs, right? Only God can ultimately meet those needs. But it can be exhausting, though. You know, even, even when we are depending on God's Spirit, we still need a break sometimes from that, don't we? I've heard that uh, people should take vacations. I ignored that for a long, long time, but I've decided I finally need to do that, right? And so I've been making more of an effort to do that because the reality is, is that we all need rest, don't we? And I think, even Jesus himself, which he right, because, but he was God. Well, yes, but he was also human, wasn't he? And if even Jesus needed rest, how much more so you and I do you think that we do, Right? So we need rest physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, in every way. Rest for the body, rest for the soul, rest for the spirit. Now, how do we get that rest? Well, I would say, first off, we all need that little daily time of private worship and reflection, don't we? That time just being quiet before the Lord in his word, listening to him, praying, and being prepared for whatever may come for us that day. We all need that daily time of private worship and reflection and rest of the soul, of the spirit. But it's also good, though, for us to take little breaks here and there, a day here, a day there. There's someone in the church that has challenged me to that. And I have to report, I'm doing better, but not as well as I need to, you know, with that. But I'm doing better than when we first started that little challenge there. So it's good to do that. But then, of course, we need little longer breaks sometimes too, though, don't we, with vacations then. So I'm working on that, and I would challenge, if any of us here need to join me in that, I would challenge you uh, to, to make that time for rest then. But you know, though, sometimes our plans to rest don't always quite work out. And it didn't in this instance here. Let's see what happens says, but the multitudes saw them departing and followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities, and they arrived before them. And Jesus, when he came out, went up on the mountain And there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude coming toward him. And he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And he received them and began to teach them many things about the kingdom of God 
and healed those who had need of healing. So we saw a need for rest, but then compassion then as the crowds continued to follow him then. said the plan was to rest for a while, but the people, the multitude who had great needs followed him. The text tells us they saw his signs. His signs are what? His miracles, his healing miracles that he was performing. And they wanted to be healed. Now, wouldn't you, if you had lived back then and you heard this about this Jesus and what he was doing and going out and you saw the great power that he had, the people that he was healing, wouldn't you want to go and be healed too? If you saw him leaving, starting to go somewhere else, wouldn't you follow too? So the people kept following him then. But Jesus and the disciples had gotten into a boat to cross from the western shore of the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida, an area on the north end of the sea. People saw that, saw which direction he was headed, started running along the shoreline then and managed even to beat them to where they were going there. That's determination, isn't it? Now, I suspect that probably, you know, maybe there wasn't much of a wind that day on that, so the boat was moving kind of slow, and the people are running along. But sometimes when people are desperate, you've got the energy when you're desperate, right? So the people were running then to get there, and they were already waiting for him by the time they arrived. Have you ever felt that way? Someone's like, man, I just really need a break, and then... (laughs) And there it is, right? We just can't get away. Sometimes we have to just go away anyway, though, right? Even though the need is there. Because if we wait for the needs to stop, we're never going to take a break, right? But here they were then. But we're told, though, then, so that Jesus went up a little ways on a mountain with, with his disciples there, but then he saw all of the people and all of their needs. And the text tells us that Jesus lifted up his eyes And he saw a great multitude coming toward him. Now, if it was me, I probably would have thought, maybe probably many of us would have thought, oh, great, right? Great. But Jesus, though, what it says, he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And you see, he was moved with compassion for them because he knew their needs. He knew their physical needs, didn't he? He knew why many of them were coming to him with physical needs and problems. But he saw more than that. He saw those needs. He saw those problems. But he saw more than that. How do we know? Because what? He says he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what is that referring to? It's not physical needs. What is it? It's spiritual needs, right? He saw that there were things that they needed to know and understand spiritually about God, about themselves, and the ultimate need they have. I mean, you can have a very healthy, healed-up body. That's one thing, and well, that's, that's good, but what is that if your soul or your spirit is sick? Right? What is that if you are spiritually dead and you need to be made alive, right? So he saw them coming because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Now, why didn't the people, I, I thought the people had shepherds. 
They're spiritual leaders, right? Except they weren't doing a very good job of it, were they? So they really didn't have spiritual shepherds, others looking out for them. Their shepherds were serving themselves and not the people. And so here then we see the motivation for ministry. And by the way, when I say ministry, am I talking about like pastors only? Is only pastors minister, right? No. Who, who are the ministers of the church? Everyone, right? Just like Jerry often talks about, who, who, are the, uh, who is the worship team? Is it the people standing up on the platform here? No, it's all of us. We're all called to worship, right? So is the minister the person who stands up here on Sunday morning? No, the minister is all of us, right? And so we're all called to minister. And here then is the motivation for ministry. What is the motivation? It is compassion. It's love. It's love for people. When we see people and we see their needs, and we know, I, we, we, know we have our own needs too, right? But we see the needs of others, and we're filled with compassion and love. It's love. That's the ministry motive, love for people and their needs. So the content of our ministry is the word of God, God's truth. What we give to people, we don't give ourselves, okay? We don't give our own wisdom. We don't give our own solutions. What do we give? We give God's word, God's truth. Hope. So the content of ministry is God's word, is God's truth. The power for ministry is our clever intellects, right? No. (laughs) The power for ministry is the Spirit of God, God's power, right? So the content of ministry is the Word of God. The power for ministry is the Spirit of God. But the motivation for it, though, is what? Love, the love of God, We give people the word of God by the power of God as it flows out, as the love of God flows out. You know, when I was on that uh, trip to to Washington just uh, a week or so ago now, uh, each where I went with some, some friends, it was actually kind of start off as a totally impromptu, spontaneous thing. I really wasn't planning it, but it was the, the night before my vacation started, and uh, a friend called and said, well, what are you doing? You going there? I said, nah, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm just going to stay. It's a staycation, right? And he called, oh, well, well let's do something. You want to go somewhere? I'm like, ah, I don't know, maybe. How about uh, New York? You want to go to New York? Nah, I've been there a few times. I don't want to go. Well, but how about Washington, D.C.? I'm like, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to go there. I've never been there. And so it was totally said, all right, let's do it. So we booked, so he and his wife, they, they went on the online, they booked everything, got the hotels and, and, so, and, and that. And so anyway, so we got everything all set up, you know, and we, we, we drive out there, we get there, and it was just a whirlwind of activities, you know, for, for about four days, you know, from morning till, till night there. 
Uh, but each day, though, would start you know, with the routine in the morning. In the hotel, it was uh, breakfast. They served breakfast uh, downstairs in a, in a big uh, uh, meeting area there, and they put the buffet table out, and you could go and get an omelet or whatever you wanted there. And so this was the, the routine then each morning was, was going down there for breakfast there. And so there's us, and then, and then you see these uh, other people, all these other persons there as well. And, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you about there was one particular incident here one morning. Uh, we, we're calling it the Great Missing Omelet Incident. And uh, this was when, uh, see, some friends, and we, have, we have kind of a strange sense of humor that we enjoy pulling practical jokes on one another. And, that. and so one of the things that, that if you ever go out to dinner with us, you, you should probably take your food and your drink or whatever with you because when you come back, it might not be there anymore, right? So anyway, so here we are, we're sitting there. We just sat down, and so my friend Ken had gotten an omelet, and you had to wait forever in a line, you know, to get this omelet. And so, but anyway, he had waited, he finally got it, and he was sitting there, and then he had, oh, he forgot something, he had to go get something. So I'm looking at the omelet, and I look over at his wife, you know, and, and it's like, you know, it's like, you know what, that's too much to eat. I don't, I don't want to eat that whole omelet, you know, there, there isn't enough time, and it's just too much, right? And so anyway, so I thought, ah, better idea, you know, I had an idea, here's what we do. I went and got another plate, an empty plate from the buffet line, and went and, and then took his uh, omelet, and I put it on the chair next to me and slid it under the table so you couldn't see it, so there's just an empty plate there. But then his wife had the brilliant idea, like, oh, no, 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 you need to, like, cut a little piece of the omelet off and put just, like, just a tiny little piece left. That's a better effect, you know, there. So we put that in there. So we did that, you know, and he came back, and the look on his face was priceless, you know, I have to tell you. So we played it up for a little while there, you know, and he was really disappointed, and he didn't want to go wait in that line again, you know, all that time. And then finally I pulled the omelet out, you know, with that, so... Anyway, so it was a very light atmosphere. You're making plans for the day. There's a sense of excitement in the air there. Uh, playing, what are we going to do today? We'll go to the, to the White House, uh, take a tour of the Capitol, see the Supreme Court, visit the memorials, the museums, you know, planning all of these, these things for the day there. But then I have to tell you, though, that last morning, it was the day we were going to be coming back home, uh, that last morning was a little different atmosphere, if you will, for me. Um, because I knew that we were heading back home that day. And I began to think about what awaited me back here when I got here. And so as I was thinking about that, and then I was looking around at the people in the room. You know, before it was all tourists, and I wonder what they're doing today. Where are they going to go today? What are they going to see? But that last morning was different because as I looked around at the room, um, I didn't just see fellow tourists anymore. I saw people, needy people, people with desperate, eternal needs. And my heart was just moved you know, for that. Like, I enjoyed the vacation. I enjoyed seeing those things and doing those things. But now, kind of like, the mission is coming back into focus here now. And so my heart was just filled with that. And I thought, you know, folks, this, this is why we do what we do. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying things in life, is there? There's nothing wrong with taking trips, enjoying things. We need that. But ultimately, though, we are here 
on a mission. What is the mission Christ has given us to make disciples, right? And what is the motivation? What is the motivation? It's, it's love. Well, we want to honor God. We love God. It's God's love in us. But it's love for people and their needs then. And that's why we do what we do, folks. It says, When the day was now far spent and it was evening, the twelve disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages, and buy themselves bread and lodge and get provisions, for they have nothing to eat. But Jesus answered them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And then he said, Bring them here to me. Now, there were 5,000 men with women and children. It was probably more like 20,000 people here. So you've been ministering all day. It's the end of the day. You're out there in this deserted place with 20,000 people. And the disciples say to Jesus what I think you probably would say, say, and that is, look, the hour is late. There's a great need here. The people are hungry. Jesus, you need to send them away. Send them away that they can go into the villages and they can buy food and get lodging and, and all of that there. Send them away, Jesus. But I think Jesus really surprised them, though, don't you think, when he said, you give them something to eat. <laughs> what do you think? Put yourself, imagine yourself there. You're one of Jesus' disciples. Here's 20,000 people. It's late in the day. You want Jesus to send them away. They need to eat. And he says, you give them something to eat. Right, right? Mm-hmm. Where am I going to get that? So Philip says, well, yeah, he said, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But Jesus said it, why? Because he wanted to test them. Now, there's an interesting distinction here in testings in Scripture. There's, when God tests us, is what, first of all, is God looking to find out something he doesn't know? No, he is creating conditions for us to find out something we don't know or to learn something we need to learn, right? And so when he tests, when God tests, its purpose is to do what? Is to build us up, right? To strengthen us, to draw him closer to him. Now, when the enemy tests, his, he's not looking to build us up. He's looking to do what? Tear us down and discourage us. So Jesus was looking to test or to build up and teach his disciples at this moment. 
So he says, you give them something to eat. Hmm. Well, they're looking around, thinking, I don't know. Well, I guess we'd have to buy it. Uh, 200 denarii. Now, a denarius was the average laborer's daily rate. So 200 denarii, denarii is what? It's about 200 days wages for a laborer. Said, well, even if we had that, even that isn't enough to buy enough food for all of these people. Lord, what are we going to do, Lord? We don't have the resources. So Jesus says, well, well, look and see what you do have. And what do they have? Besides nothing. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Here's this kid. This kid here. He's got a lunch. Somebody's mother was thinking that morning, right? You know, so. so here's this little kid, and he's got a little lunch here. Five little barley loaves and a couple of fish. This is all we've got. Now, is that enough? Five little barley loaves and two fish for all those people? It's barely enough for one little boy, right? But Jesus says, in effect, yeah, that's plenty. Because does God need your resources or mine? No, he doesn't need our resources. But what does he want? When he, when he asks for our resources, it's not because he needs them, but what? But he is going to take what little we have that he can take, and he can do something great with what little we have, right? So this was the little that they had. But Jesus can take that little and do something great with it. So we're told then, then Jesus said to his disciples, make the people sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. And they made them all sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. Now there was much grass in the place. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven. And when he had given thanks, he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to those sitting down. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate, how much? As much as they wanted and were filled. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled, how many baskets? Twelve baskets full with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So here we see the need for rest, compassion, need, and then provision. Jesus organized them in groups the way you would when the people would join, when the Jewish people would gather for festivals and feasts. This was a typical way of ordering. When we have like a dinner or something, like Harvest Home or something in our family center, does everyone just come in and mill about and and whatever happens, happens? No, there's there's a plan, right? And we put it, we organize the tables and tables of six or eight chairs and put them around and do that, right? There's a plan. And so Jesus says, you know what? Here's the plan. If I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, boy, how's this gonna work? We're setting up all the, in effect, we're setting up all these tables and chairs but there's nothing coming from the kitchen except these five little loaves and two fish. But he says to set them all up, so we're setting them all up. And then Jesus takes that little 
And no matter how many he gave out, there was more (laughs) that kept coming, right? As he multiplied that. We sang today, multiply, multiply, right? And the people, it's not everyone got like, okay, I had a bite or two. They They ate until what? They were full. Now, who else do you figure was hungry besides the people who were hungry? Who else do you think was hungry? The disciples themselves, right? So he says, well, there's leftovers. Go gather them up. And isn't it interesting that the, the leftovers filled up how many baskets? Twelve. Do you think that that's just a curious little coincidence? Why do you think there were twelve baskets full left? For the disciples. So as they were feeding while Jesus was feeding them, but as they were serving, that they were waiters for Jesus. Aha! You see, now you know where that title came from today, right? See, they were waiters for Jesus. They, were Jesus. they weren't making the food. Jesus was. But they were the instruments through which he was distributing it, giving it out. And as they were doing all of that, they, were, they, they needed sustenance themselves, didn't they? So they gave to others, but guess what? They too, their needs were met then as well through that. Needs met just a little bit? No, a whole basket full. Their needs were abundantly met as they were meeting the needs of others spiritually. Well, in this case, whoops, I kind of got ahead of myself. Physically, they were meeting physical needs, weren't they? And now that I've given it away, why did Jesus do this? To meet people's physical needs? Well, in part, yes, but what was it really all about? Wouldn't be the last time we broke bread. Wouldn't be the last time we broke bread, that's right, okay. And fed the multitudes. multitudes. In fact, there's another incident coming up, but you're going to have to wait for that one, okay? Um, So what is Jesus doing here? Was he just meeting physical needs for people? No, he was, there was a lesson. What was the lesson for the disciples? Disciples was what? I'm going to use you to meet the spiritual needs of people. You're going to be the shepherds. So a shepherd, that's just a pastor, right? No, a a pastor is a shepherd or should be a shepherd. But who else? We're all called to serve one another and meet the needs of one another, aren't we? And so this was training them. He had sent them out to preach... And now he's going to teach them about, you're going to be my shepherds who are going to meet people's spiritual needs. Now, not they themselves, but what? They would be the instruments through whom God would minister, through whom Jesus would minister to meet people's spiritual needs. Now, how did Jesus do this, do you suppose? How did he, you know, there have been some, how did Jesus do, and it always amazes me when people wonder and think, well, how, how could God possibly do a miracle, right? <laughs> but actually, I do want you to know there, there has been some recent research, actually, on, on how this may have been done, and scholars have made an amazing discovery. And the Babylon Bee, anybody familiar with the Babylon Bee? It's a Christian satire news site here. Uh, Some pretty good stuff there. But uh, anyway, the Babylon Bee was reporting that actually there's been some research, and it has now been discovered how Jesus did this miracle with the multiplication of, of the bread here and that. Apparently, it turns out scholars now believe 
that there was an olive garden <laughs> nearby, not too far away. And you know how Olive Garden is giving you the endless supply of breadsticks, right? How many of you are addicted to, to Olive Garden breadsticks? Like me, is it just me? Right? I love these things, right? So anyway, apparently that's how it was done. Now the problem is that doesn't explain the fish. It explains the bread, but it doesn't explain the fish. So they're still looking into that to see if they can figure out how the fish thing was multiplied there. But I want you to know, this is what scholars uh, believe here now, but I don't believe it at all. I think it's probably, you know, a hoax there. You know, fake news. I think it's, the Babylon Bee is fake news, you know, so don't believe that story there with that. Well, to conclude the real story then, it says, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. So here was then a misunderstanding on the part of the people. Now Jesus came. He was the Messiah, the king, right? And now all the people, they see this and they want to come and they want to take him and make him king. But Jesus says, oh, no, 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 and slips away from them. Well, wait a minute. Why would Jesus? He he was the king. They want to make him king. But he slips away from them. Why? Because they fundamentally misunderstood what kind of king he was and why he came, right? They wanted a political king, a political ruler, who would meet their physical needs and deliver them from Rome. But that's not why Jesus came, was it? Now, he is king, and he is the eternal king. And one day soon, he will rule over all the earth, politically in every way. But that was not why he came the first time, was it? He came the first time as a servant and to give his life. And to meet our greatest need of all, which is spiritual, right? And so he slipped away from them. One very quick comment at the end. When they got in the boat, they went to where? To Bethsaida. At the end of the story, we're told then, they got in the boat to go to the other side to Bethsaida. Oh, see, there you go. Can't trust the Bible. Bible makes mistakes, right? Because it said they were going to, they were leaving where they were, and they were going to go to Bethsaida. So they get to Bethsaida, and now they're going to leave there and go to Bethsaida. How does that make sense? How could that? Is the Bible wrong? You see, can we trust the Bible when it makes a mistake like that? Right? No, it's no mistake. You know why? The answer is very simple. There are two Bethsaidas, right? There's Bethsaida, Bethsaida Julius on the north shore, and there's Bethsaida of Galilee on the western shore. This is towns. So that's just another example then of sometimes critics of the Bible will point to that and say, oh, you see, you can't trust the Bible because it's right there. But, you know, you do some research and you make discoveries then like that, right? So that is why. Well, so what? What do you want me to do with this? Well, I want to remind us where we started when we said God uses unlikely people like us to bring spiritual sustenance to people. The significance of the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't that Jesus met the physical needs of 20,000 people. The significance is what? Is that he meets the 
spiritual needs of people. And he, for reasons that I still find hard to fathom, uses people like me, people like you, to do that. But sometimes we need to see, we need to see first our own lack, don't we? I think it's good for us to be a little overwhelmed at times. Don't you think so? Because this brings us back to what we need to see, that we don't have the resources. God does. So I want to ask, are you a waiter for Jesus? The disciples didn't multiply the bread and the fish, did they? What did they do? They were like they were servants. They were like waiters. Someone else, that, like if you were working in a restaurant, you didn't cook the, the food, but what are you doing? You're taking the food that someone else has prepared, and you're taking it to hungry people. Well, you and I don't have the answers for people in and of ourselves. We're not fixing them. We're not solving their spiritual needs. God does that, but we are the instruments through whom he works to bring that message. And again, what is the content of, of our ministry? The Word of God, God's truth, right? What is the power by which we operate? The Spirit of God. And what is our motive for doing so? The love of God, right? The love of God. We give people, we're waiters for Jesus then, who bring the Word of God in the power of God because of the love of God. Are you a waiter for Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this precious privilege you have given us to serve you in this way. I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy of that. Jesus alone is worthy. But Lord, in your grace, you call us you allow us to be a part of this great mission and work that you're doing in the world. God, I pray that you would equip us, Lord, and that we would walk faithfully in this. Lord, we don't have the answers. We don't have the resources. You do, though. So, Lord, teach us to be effective waiters for you in bringing your hope, bringing your word to people. It's people who need to hear the message of the gospel. It's people who do believe the gospel but need to be built up in their faith. Lord, may we be effective instruments or waiters who bring your sustenance to people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.